This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people, academics, business leaders, managers, consultants, who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts who will share their thoughts, experiences, theories, and practices so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. And welcome to Teeming with Ideas, the podcast about people at work working together. I am your host and resident contrarian, Carlos Valdez de Pena, and I am delighted today to welcome as my guest, an old friend and colleague, Arvi Desi. Arvi, how are you? Hey, Carlos. Great to see you and great to hear your voice again. Yeah, and I'm delighted to have you. Arvi's based in the UK. He's, uh, like many of us at this point, he is working from home as pandemic precautions continue to hold force. I'll give a quick intro to Arvi, and then I just want to get him uh, talking to you about his feelings, thoughts. Arvi is currently working for Corn Ferry in the UK, but he's got 25 plus years working in corporate, working as a consultant. He focuses on helping organizations perform better through working with senior team. He's brilliant at talent strategy and organizations, succession management. He's an experienced coach to top leaders in organizations. He's also an amazing speaker. He's delightful to be in a room with. And he is a passionate advocate, he says, and this I'll read directly from the bio, for what he calls the magnificent middle. So again, welcome, Arvi. I'm so glad to be talking to you as colleague, as friend, but also as someone who knows a lot about how organizations and the people in them function. Now, I warned you about this, so let's start with the magnificent middle. What do you mean when you say that? Where's that? What is it and where's it come from? Well, my wife always thinks it's referring to my waistline, so I have to correct her there. <laughs> Uh, so it's I, sorry I missed the, I missed the rim shot there I should have been on top of that carry on <laughs> you can you can attest to that right it's really about the middle of the bell curve if I'm honest it's not about the middle in terms of hierarchies okay. although it can be right. applied to that it can mm -hmm. be applied to are we talking just about the top of the house c-suite or are we also talking about the so-called middle layers of management and leadership in organizations. It's an area of passion and expertise for you, and I'd be very happy to talk about that. In addition to the hierarchical view, it's also a reference to the often forgotten masses in our organization mm. who don't make it into any so-called hypo category, and they don't get the notice and attention of being in any way underperformers, but untapped, often forgotten. And that, this might sound rather soft, but there is a very hard commercial mathematical edge to it because if you mm. do think about it as a bell curve, you probably have 100 times as many people in the middle of the bell curve as you do at either extreme. And a 10% improvement from the middle um, is probably far more likely and cumulatively delivers a much bigger return than simply focusing on the smaller numbers that you see at the end. So that's my right. real passion. And so I, what I remember, I think you wrote an article about that some years ago, didn't you? Published yeah, yeah. In, a, in a paper in London. Good. That's very cool. So as we sit here, uh, by the way, in the US, it is a bank holiday. We wouldn't call it that, but you 
you foreigners would. It's a, it's it's Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for our listeners, by the way, Arvin and I have years of history together. So when you hear me give him a hard time, it's it's only out of the deepest love and expected. And it should be, and I expect the same from you. Um, so anyway, it's Labor Day here, and poignant in some respects because labor has changed so much over the past. What's it been? Seven months now since. Uh, we went into lockdown. The pandemic has had its biggest impact. Yeah. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what you're seeing as a result of that. From your perspective, how has work changed, especially how has collaboration changed? How have the ways your clients work together, had, how, how have they had to adapt? And what are you seeing that's both problematic and at the end of the day, what's working? Because I think we're going to be de dealing with this for some time to come. So we're looking for some thoughts about what do we do more of? Yeah. 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 And what do we stop um, doing? Yeah. I mean, my, my headline of the last seven months has always been the emerging headline has been, mm -hmm. you know, with the dark clouds come lots and lots of unforeseen and unexpected silver linings as well. And I think yeah. the balance of appreciating the both is really, really important. In terms of the world of work uh, and labor, yeah, I mean, I don't want to add to the list of uh, cliches and hyperbole that we've heard already, right? But sure. the reality is that this is, an, uh, and I have said this before in, in uh, previous writing, this is one of those epoch-changing events. Mm, yeah. uh, but by that, I mean it is the kind of thing that we will tell our grandchildren about in years to come Absolutely, and we yeah. will be able to say let me tell you what life was like mm -hmm. before this and they will look at us like we're from a different planet <laughs> yes. uh, as my children you know, yeah, they do they, anyway right they do anyway. <laughs> but i mean when whenever we use that phrase epoch changing it's like my teenagers now look at me when i describe when i, I don't know what it was like for you carlos i'm thinking the same but when i started work you know we didn't even have pcs or laptops on our desks and my right. children I believe you were. Believe. I believe you had a, a slate, right? And, <laughs> and chalk. I, I had I an I underwood. That. I had an underwood typewriter. Type right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Of course. <laughs> but they can't believe it. They said, "Well, how did you get anything done?" You know, and uh, <laughs> right. we kind of said, "Well, we could, we did." And describing the world of work now, I mean, like many many of your listeners uh, on this podcast, you know, I was one of those people hmm. uh, that on a typical day spent. Um, three hours of my day every day in some kind of commute uh, that included a long walk a train ride followed by a tube journey and then another long walk and that took an hour and a half door to door to be with other people in a major yeah. conurbation in a major center with beautifully architected tall buildings right. lines at the elevators and somehow somewhere we've managed to demonstrate certainly in my line of work and as a knowledge worker that we're looking back and saying was that all really really necessary some elements of it are right. without doubt but part of the reason you know one of the silver linings i would include in uh, these seven months is i've done more global work in the last seven months than i have done in the last five years so for a, a guy like you, working at senior levels, organizations, global organizations that are dispersed at business capitals around the world, that's a real boon. Does that yeah. have any kind of knock-on effects, the folks reporting to the folks who you end up working with most directly? I think um, it does certainly in some industries, and we, all, we should also appreciate the reality for many, many tens of thousands of jobs out there in the world of work that 
by necessity require some element of face-to-face interaction, whether you like it or not. It came to the fore, really, uh, with the top team I was working with, where well over 75,000, 80,000 of their employees are frontline workers. What industry was that? Uh, retail, right, food retail, right? Okay. So uh, this is absolutely at the very forefront of society's response to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in the early days, if you think back to March, when there was panic buying and there were people uh, going crazy about toilet roll, there were people who had to get food and other materials on the shelves. No ifs, no buts. And with, with that particular team, there has naturally been a, a desire for the top team to demonstrate to their tens of thousands of employees who have no option but to go into work, that we are side by side, that we're with you, right. that we appreciate that when the um, infection rates were at their highest, that these employees were, in many respects, possibly even putting themselves in harm's way. But in that element, you know, you see the bravery and the dedication and the service that emerges. And that I would also class as, uh, uh, you know, one of the silver linings, people stepping up and saying, here's my service, here's my contribution to this terrible time. So what did that look like? So if I'm on a, a senior team and I've got thousands of employees in the face of the public with mask or with not every day, mm. what are the sorts of things that one does to lead based on that desire to show support, to show gratitude, to show leadership to those folks in the front lines, just yeah. on a behavioral level? It's all of the above, and you articulated the list very compellingly there, Carlos, what you just said. I wish I'd written it down. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. P- push rewind. That's right. <laughs> but but everything that you just said, I think it's about you know being visible, over communicating, and then expressing the heartfelt, genuine, authentic messages of gratitude and thanks. I think those go a long way, both symbolically and verbally, to be able to say that we're with you. Would that include, in the case of these leaders, going into these retail sites and being instead of just visible the way? You might be on Zoom or Microsoft Teams, but visible in the building, in the yes. space. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and actually some great examples of where then actually letting it be known throughout the workforce, you know, through electronic channels right. to say right. that I, here I visited, here I am with. And I think that goes a long, long way. See, the, the key thing here is that part of that magnificent middle and, and making sure that those people are feeling supported, appreciated, and listened to is to say mm-hmm. I've been alongside you. And the, the real danger here is that um, the smug satisfaction that you and I could have, which is to say, hey, my life hasn't changed much at all, right? I can, I can run my business sitting in my uh, comfortable home office, but also saying, have I been out there? Have I understood and appreciated and heard from those people who, without whom, let's face it, we would have been in a serious mess, you know? Imagine not being able to get food on the table. Just imagine. On top of every other crisis here that we right. are yeah. talking about. You know. And that's certainly happening for large swaths in countries where there are big wealth gaps, for example. Yeah, certainly absolutely. True in the U.S. Hunger is yeah. a huge yeah. issue. Even in my relatively affluent town, there's a food bank mm. that's being yeah. run out of a local mm. um, park. So it's, it's t- it is a tough time. So aside from that, the list you just provided, are there other things you're seeing leaders do that are particularly effective? We're staying focused on the silver linings here because yeah. I, I think... As you suggested earlier, there's enough negative stuff we could blab on about. What else is working in terms of, even in the room? So for a moment, 
that broader idea of leadership right, to my thousands of employees is, is really important. Bring it into the room. What, what are you seeing senior leaders do or leaders of any level do with their teams at this point? I would imagine they're working with their teams remotely, um, especially yeah. the global ones. What else? What do you see? I mean, the thing that appeals to me personally, and, and I've seen some amazing examples, the client I alluded to earlier, but in many others as well, just a breathtaking, breathtakingly impressive ability of some, not all, leaders okay. to run towards the fire. Wow. Okay. Figuratively speaking, right. to say that it's in these moments of crisis that there are some individuals who say, what are my choices here? Do I, do I hunker down and wait? Do I run away or, or do I run towards it? And, and that's what I'm talking about, this, this, the drive, the energy that can elevate groups of people to say that this is not of our choosing. It's not by design, but nevertheless, we're called upon to respond to this situation in a, in a way. And that, that's what I would really allude to, that, that I found the, the most impressive so of, tell me a story about that. Is there, think of one leader, and let's keep names out of it for now, but the image of running yeah. towards the fire is very powerful. How does that look in reality where there I isn't an it, actual fire? I mean, there isn't an actual fire, but in terms of the scale and the magnitude uh, and, and the potential disruptive force that we're living through, mm. I mean, compared to the other epoch-changing events I've lived through, this is probably the single biggest, right? So yeah, yeah. the ones that you and I, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the collapse of the Soviet bloc and the end of the Cold War, mm-hmm. um, you know, nine eleven, right. a global financial crisis. So the running towards the fire is a willingness to see that, and, and again, this is an oft-used, uh, now cliched, hackneyed phrase, but there, there is no more going back to normal. There, we have to reinvent and reconfigure and rethink how we're going to operate. And for many businesses, that has included doing what needs to be done in order to survive in the short term mm-hmm. and take some um, quite painful action and seeing what needs to be done there. But also simultaneously thinking about saying, how can we then make sure that we can get through this? You know, we can turn into this. I mean, I, I don't want to give too many quotes, but... Quotes are good. The Churchill one I love. I'm a big fan, as you will recall, Never Waste a Good Crisis, which is the, it's the embracing the opportunity that this presents. Now, to some ears, that can sound opportunistic and almost even can be interpreted as being somewhat mercenary, you know, if you, if you mm-hmm, think about yeah. a commercial organization. But it's still saying on any topic, there are opportunities that need to be explored, right? As I mentioned earlier, what, why are we doing more global work now is guess what? I'm not stuck in airport lounges and on planes for mm-hmm. significant chunks of my month. It means I'm more available and, and we can take the opportunity to connect. It's less ideal, but we can connect, take the opportunity to connect around the world and uh, we can see how that will reimagine the whole world of work. Now, obviously, there are whole industries that are facing existential threats because of that very thing that I'm now talking about. Travel for one. Travel, yeah. I mean, and all the related. I mean, so that's airlines. That's the airports themselves and the businesses and etc. Airports yeah. themselves. I mean, e- even if you think about the larger conurbations. So apparently, here in the UK, it's affected smaller cities less, but in larger conurbations, big cities, you know, there are uh, huge implications for 
just the day-to-day maintenance industries, cleaning, security, uh, reception, um, catering, lunches, the local sandwich shop. Here in the UK, there's already evidence that smaller towns have been affected less harshly than the bigger corporate centers and bigger conurbations. Uh, Help me understand that. That's interesting. Um, In smaller towns, there's been a more rapid return to work. And percentage terms, the return to work meant that they were more local anyway, and that's been less of an issue. And probably smaller buildings, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. But in cities like London, where there is a longer commute and many millions of people who are living in the uh, dormitory towns around, and I count myself in those, there's a bigger knock-on effect of the ancillary industries that support larger concentrations of people coming together. I love your perspective because it's global. It's sort of a 35,000 foot look at, at this. And I'm going to take us back to this idea of running towards the fire. Is there a particular leader, again, we'll keep names out of it, you can think of who, who did that? And I, I'm not sure if it's about courage or just pragmatism, but who inspired you by his or her action in terms of how they stepped into what this pandemic is creating rather than step back in waiting mode. Yes. I'm going to share with you an amalgam of three people. I've three, at least three, possibly four people I've got in my mind. The reason why I'm going to do an amalgam is it's not to embarrass any one of them. And because they are also the types of leaders that would scoff that I have used them as an example and say, Hey, I didn't do anything that anybody else wouldn't. They don't realize it. And they would also say that they're not perfect. And and I think that in itself tells you a lot, right, which is in this midst of the crisis is there is no playbook. Nobody knows for sure what they should be doing. Yeah, no one has been through an executive training program or a management development program that teaches what do we do when there's a global pandemic. Right. It's not that's right. Yeah. It's not in the curriculum. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Good. Right. And uh, I think so so one of the things that running towards a fire is embracing the not knowing and other quote that I love is courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is responding despite the fear. So what what is what, I'm really, what is it embrace the not knowing so so just think about I'd like you to reflect for a second in the room with eight or ten people where someone whether it's the leader or someone around the table embraces not knowing I guess I'm asking because I want my listeners to be able to emulate that if you will yeah, in, a, in yeah. a kind of a specific way yeah I, I hope the thing that i've learned from this amalgam of three heroes who wouldn't call themselves heroes right. is is the willingness to step away from the central casting of leadership the historical view which is command control uh-huh. stand up on top of a tank and say i know for sure right. we're headed this way and i know and i'm correct and i'm always correct i'm the best there is is recognizing that that is not the kind of leadership that is inspiring in this situation. It's to say in this moment of madness, and however much we may have planned before, but our role now is to lead even when the fog of battle is at its thickest and we can't see, but it behoves us to step up and take action and do what we believe is the right thing, anticipate in the right way, anticipate at pace with a rapidly changing environment Mm -hmm. and be willing to say 
you know what we thought yesterday yeah. is wrong. What I said yesterday is wrong. Wow, yeah. Because what we found out today is this. And, and that, this is that could, the, it, it yeah. would have been in the, in the leader on the tank analogy, that would have been seen as a weakness. Absolutely. And yeah. in fact, what I think I hear you saying is that's a stunning strength. It is. That vulnerability, is that a good word? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the, the, the right balance between vulnerabilities is, you know, how do you, the vulnerability is overplayed to the extent that it means that people are saying, well, what do I follow? You know, I do believe that right. essential to leadership is some seed of optimism. Yeah, okay. Yep, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's about to get things done. One has to envision the things that need doing and the correct. place that those things take you. Yeah. So yeah. Optimism. And, and nobody's going to follow you if you say, follow me this way. It's a disaster or it's going to get worse. Right. <laughs> right. Well, follow, well, here, well, well, but they won't do that. What you hope. Um, will they follow you if you say, follow me this way? I'm not sure where we're going. Yes. If the follow me this way is articulated with sufficient and say, I'm not 100% sure, but given everything that we've had to do at pace, in the moment, listening to all of the inputs of knowledge that we get and the best that we can do, I think this is the right way to go for now. And that you are giving them sufficient reassurance that that's a thoughtful this way right. rather than just a wild guess, you know. Right. So you're, you're giving evidence that you've given thought to it and it's not yeah. just a random oh well i rolled the dice and it came up with this let's go that way and see what happens yeah though i might imagine from time to time that even that may be necessary so let, let's back it up a little bit again we've got this leader sitting at the head of the table who's embracing the not knowing yeah and we want to get to a, a point of choice saying okay we're going to do this and mm -hmm. you used a really interesting word there for now mm. <laughs> we'll do this for now acknowledging that we don't know where it may land mm. What are those around the table? So I'm speaking here of the team. How does the leader involve them in this acting while not knowing process? Yeah. Well, so this is another allusion to the magnificent middle uh, okay. metaphor uh, earlier, which is to tap into the collective genius of those around you, right? That's absolutely essential. It's got to be a partnership. In this kind of situation, all of those people, especially in a top team or in any team that feel a collective responsibility to the achievement of what we're trying to solve here, mm -hmm. uh, isn't just about an individual who's at the top of a hierarchy. This has got to be a collective. This is almost somebody that you and I are big, big fans of and have worshipped from a distance for many years. <laughs> Peter Block, he talks about replacing the pyramid with a circle, but genuinely creating a circle and saying that how do we each of us partner? and contribute our collective knowledge, our collective genius, our collective doubts. So have I given expression of doubt? Uh, hey, look, I'm not so sure. That is such a shift. I, look, I think we've been talking about this kind of leadership for decades. And speaking of silver linings, how can you lead remotely where you aren't in a physical room with people for, I mean, these executive meetings I used to be a part of were going for two, three days, right? Doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You have to let go. You have to do that thing that I think folks have been urging leaders to do for, for decades, which is, but you have to say to people, I, I'm not there. You've got to take leadership in the sphere that is yours, right? You've yeah. got, to, you have to, I, I have to give up my illusion of control mm. and allow you to start to experience um, that sense of, 
you're the you're the one with the ownership and the, and the control yeah. here. Although again, yeah. control control being a a bit of a, a messy word because we don't really control yeah. anything, do we? Yeah, no, but not it, anymore. Uh, not anymore. But people do hold on to the uh, myth of control. Oh, desperately, desperately. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that silver lining is so powerful. We just gotta yeah. let go. Much of what one reads nowadays is about the anxiety being caused. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think some of that may to do with the fact that I can't see my people. I can't uh, feel that sense of I'm guiding where they're going in that old model of leadership, right? That says yeah. you've, got to, you've got to have your hand on the tiller yeah. at all times and guide this, this yeah. ship you're captain of. Well, I, I've got a particular thought on the, on the word anxiety. I, th I think it's been overused. Okay. And I think we've inadvertently created something of an anxiety industry. Out of COVID? Not out of COVID, okay. but well, in general. general. It, it was yeah. building up anyway. And I think we've mm. got... Uh, and I, I'm a big believer that anxiety is a pretty good signal that you're alive. <laughs> yes, the dead, <laughs> dead rarely show up in psychiatric clinics. Take very few drugs, yes. Yeah, and, and it, it, imagine a world with zero anxiety. I have no anxiety about anything at all. You'd either be you know, fast asleep or, as you say... Right. Under some kind of disguise about the reality of what's going on. So, and again, that comes to embracing what the anxiety is there as an action mm -hmm. step, as a signal for you to respond, hopefully in an optimal and well-equipped way, but, but not in any way trying to diminish or deny the prompt for that anxiety. But, and again, this is something that we've been talking about in our field of leadership development for decades now, which is I will respond to everything. I will react to nothing mm. is the, uh, the real signal there of the anxiety, I would say. Let me, let me and, write that down. Uh, <laughs> I'll respond to everything, but... I will react to nothing. React to nothing. Beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. a wonderful piece of guidance right there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, uh, let me speak for the anxious in the world because I, mm -hmm. I have been one of those people. Yeah. And then I think we have to start to wrap it up. But I, it seems to me that anxiety is about the future, right? I become mm. anxious about what might or might not happen. Yeah. Living in this time when even the most gifted people, the most privileged people, with all the resources at their control or, or who benefit from multiple resources, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if our kids are going to go to school. We don't know if we're mm. going to be able to walk out the door without getting sick. We don't know if we can go back to the stadium for the football match. By the way, you notice how he used that UK mm. football match, <laughs> not the American football game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just trying to work with it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, it, it it's, it's completely connected, anxiety, to the thing I think might happen or worry yeah. might happen, right? Absolutely. You're right. Uh, <laughs> my wife has a particular problem with pharmaceutical commercials, which mm. in the US, for years and years, you couldn't advertise on television. For pharmaceuticals and now you can and mm. all these drugs to make you happy all these drugs to sort of shut off the anxiety channels in the brain and the immediate commercial following it is from all the lawyers saying if yeah. you use that drug <laughs> and 10 years out. ago and you're suffering from any of these side effects please get in touch so that we can part of a there class action loss so i take your point there is an anxiety <laughs> industry out there i wake up every day thinking about the things i'm going to get done mm. living in that fantasy of control yeah. whether it's covid or not you never know 
Mm. Whether we're in a pandemic or, or the world is in some new way of being or the way it used to be, control's just not real. It is comforting. Mm. It is comforting to think we're in control. So enough on anxiety. But uh, look, I'd like to close with going back to something you said a minute ago. Because the point of this podcast is to give listeners something they can take home. And mm. I had not heard before, respond to everything but react to nothing. Mm. I just think that's a beautiful, easily remembered piece of guidance. And it, I want you to just spend a moment on that, another minute or two. What's the difference between responding and reacting? It links back to the conversation we just had about anxiety, actually, and, and I'm going to paint another picture for your listeners. I don't know if it's a fact, but there is some evidence, and this itself may be apocryphal, but the ancient city of Jerusalem had one of its gates in the walls of the city mm -hmm. was so narrow that it was called the needle. So they called the gate right. the needle or the eye of the needle. The only way you can get the pack camels through is by unloading them outside of the gate, mm. get the camel through, and you reload them. The yeah. two heavy burdens that we carry are anxiety about the future and regret about the past. These are heavy burdens that weigh down on us in any moment. Now, particularly in the moment of crisis, in responding rather than reacting to any crisis, is to notice these two heavy burdens that all of us as human beings, we wouldn't be human if we weren't carrying them. Anybody who says that they don't have any is a liar. The moment of responding is to consciously and choicefully, if that's a real word, I've made it a word now, <laughs> consciously choosing to put down those burdens of anxiety about the future and regrets about the past and noticing that the only way I'll get through this moment, the present, and it feels lighter. It feels lighter. Um, well, there's nothing we, you can do about either. I mean, in reality, right? Yeah, yeah. There's really yeah. nothing you can do about either. No. But, but so you just put them down. But put them down and go through yeah. the gate and see what's yeah, yeah, on yeah. the other side. Wow. Absolutely. That, sir, was a lovely way to bring this conversation to a close. I really appreciate that. So, My pleasure. So smart, so useful. Um, Arvi, I'd love to get a link to the article you wrote about the Magnificent Middle. Magnificent Might, Middle. Right? Yeah. If you have that somewhere, we'll get a link, put that up there. Super good reconnecting with you. And maybe we'll come back and do this in six months or so. See where we've landed. See where we've landed, yeah. And, all the uh, things we didn't know, right? All the stuff we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so we yeah. continue to embrace not knowing. Not knowing. And, uh, you have my deep, deep gratitude for joining me. My pleasure, Carlos. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again, RV Desi, senior client partner at Corn Ferry, for sharing the perspective of an external consultant working with top teams and their leaders. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teaming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teaming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdepena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening and keep on teaming with ideas.